Good morning, Christ Central, uh, on this Mother's Day. Thank you so much for joining us in worship service. This is a special treat today as we induct four new adult members as well as baptize uh, little Ava Kim into the family of God. Uh, we've been going through this series on loving the local church. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Psalm chapter 63. Okay, this is going to be on encountering God in prayer. Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 through 8. This is the scriptures for us. Let me read this for us. A psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, starting at verse 1 through 8. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. This is God's word so far. So last week in this loving the local church, we heard that God gives us the word of God, his own word. We learned how to listen and do the word of God better. But that is all because we can respond back to him in prayer. God speaks to us. He gives us his word so that we can speak back to him and encounter him in prayer. I don't know if you've heard this saying, but I think it is so true. No matter how many times I hear it, I'm challenged by it. Prayer is either the greatest or best use of time or a complete waste of time. Prayer is most important or it's not important at all. And when it comes to prayer and learning how to pray, there is nothing in between. The best use of time or a complete waste of time. There's nothing in between. Two angles we're going to take from this passage. How to learn to pray. And second, what God does through our prayers. Okay, how to learn to pray. Second, what God does in and through our prayers. Again, last week we heard God speaks. He loves to give us his scriptures. He gives us the highest authority. It's unchanging. He reveals himself. But do you know why God speaks to us? So that we would have a relationship with him. We'd be able to speak back to him in prayer and praise. So the first lesson we have in how to learn to pray is that prayer is responsive. Prayer is responsive. It's all responsive. You have to hear something first. You have to be told something first. You have to know something first. You have to be addressed or reached out to first in order to respond in prayer. One of the Christian authors over in Vancouver by the name of Eugene Peterson, he wrote in one of his books to pastors and Christian folks, quote, language is spoken into us. We learn language only as we are spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language. So think about that this morning. Everyone in this room, how did you learn to speak? How did you learn to talk? You learned it from someone. 
most likely our moms or a caretaker or some parent who loved on you. And as they said things to you like goo goo gaga, they understood your goo goo gaga's back. It's explosive how little children mumble and grumble. Moms or dads can somehow decipher and understand that. Then the mumbling and grumbling becomes actual words. Then the words turn into complete sentences. Then the complete sentences turn on into full-on conversations. And most parents that by that point say, I wish they could never learn to speak. But Eugene Peterson is saying, all speech is answering speech. You see, all talking is responsive talking. We're plunged into a sea of language. So, so get this. If you want to have a real, truthful encounter with God, if you want a relationship with God, and if prayer is the way that you have an intimate encounter with God, how can you learn to speak back to God other than immersing yourself in God speak? Immersing yourself in the way that God talks to you. So you see, we listen and do the word of God. We must pay attention to his scriptures because that is actually how we learn to pray best. All prayer and praise is responsive. I mean, look at verses 2 and 3 of our, of our psalm. So I have looked upon you in this sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. How did he get to the point that his lips will praise God? How did he get to the point of praying? He was shown and most likely spoken to about the power and the glory of God. He was spoken to with the steadfast love of God. So like a child learns to speak from his mom or dad or parent, children of God learn to pray by listening and responding to God speak. There's a second way we learn to pray. There's responsiveness, and second, there's regularity. That is the best way to learn to pray. That's actually the best way to learn to do anything. Regularity. David the psalmist prayed regularly along with all the other psalmists. Look at verse 6. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. At what time of day is the psalmist praying? At night. And then he goes on to say, throughout the watches of the night, all through the night. Now the Psalms are meant to be read and understood together. They're strung together. They belong together. These little chapter divisions, again, are a human creation. So Psalm 63 goes with 62 and 61 and all the way over to Psalm 150. And you're going to notice throughout the entirety of the Psalms, when they pray and praise, they don't just do it at night. They do it early in the morning. They do it in the middle of the day. They throw it throughout the day. They do it at night and again throughout the night. What does this tell you? The people who learned prayer best were regular at it. If you pray in the morning, you're going to get better praying in the afternoon. If you pray in the afternoon, you can get better praying at night. Responsive and regularity. You know, I got to speak with a very, very zealous, dear mother of a close friend this week. It was actually on Tuesday. They put me on speakerphone on the car, so my friend called me, and his mom was in the car. I had just picked her up from the airport, and one of the first things she told me was, you know, my son, my son, I've been praying for him so hard, but no changey. No changey. 
He's the same. I was a little distraught by that because a close friend of mine goes to our church and I thought I was going to get corrected or rebuked. What kind of pastor are you? He's not changing. And then moments later, she corrected herself and she said, you know, I've been praying for him. No changey. Ah, but if I had not been praying for him, he'd be a lot worse. <laughs> and we cackled together with my friend on the phone conversation right in the middle of that conversation. And we had a good laugh, how I love this mom and his son and the family. And I don't think we should ever take for granted. If you have Christian church folks like parents and grandparents who had regularity to their prayer life, do not take for granted how much protection and strength and guidance and grace have been poured out to you on account of the regularity of prayers. The trouble is in our day and age, it's like, who's praying for ours? Who's praying for our kids with such regularity? And this is why we so much need the church. This is why we so much need the church. We need small groups. We need pastors. We need teachers. We need good friends because if you're lazy, if you fail, if you forget, if you're so busy, you're weak, where you know you're not praying for your family, your spouse, or your kids like you should, we have the regularity, the prayers of the church. My friend, there's no better way to learn to speak and have an encounter with God than to hear God speak first, to respond to it, and to be regular, 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 regular. My friend, isn't this true? Anything important to you? Anything stress-relieving to you? Anything therapeutic to you? Is there not regularity to it? See, what I'm asking you this morning is what's your go-to move? What is your regularity? What do you do when you are fearful? When you're butt tired? When you're freaking out and stressed? When you just got into a horrible fight? When you're insecure? When the future looks very dark? What is your go-to move? I'll tell you, we know this about our friends, right? We say, oh, so-and-so, go-to move? Definitely he's at a bar. He's at a bar. Or so-and-so. That person went to a friend and gossiped and slammed, just vented, vomited to the friend. We need friends like that, yes. Or your go-to move is you go work out. Your go-to move is you go shopping. Your go-to move is you go on vacation. Your go-to move is you go online and vent and troll everybody. Your go-to move is you just blank out on the couch just watching endless TV. Your go-to move is you go on a bender, a binge weekend. Your go-to move is you isolate and hide yourself for a while. Whatever your go-to move is, oh, scientists and psychiatrists and counselors will all tell you, whatever your go-to move is, is paving neural pathways in your brain, forming habits of your heart, and that's basically determining the character of your life, the direction of your life. But my friend, did you know prayer is the only way it's the only God-given way where the psalmist says in verse 7 and help, uh, 7 and 8, for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Do you see how he's regular? He's clinging, he's dependent, he's consistent. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Prayer is the only way you get access to divine help. Prayer is the only way you get in touch and encounter God. 
So two ways of how we learn to pray, responsive and regularity. Now, what does God do in and through our prayers? What does God do now when we come to him and pray in a relationship? Well, the first is he redirects. He redirects. I made it easy for us. They all start with an R. He redirects us. Notice in verse one, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What condition is a psalmist in? Is he happy? Is he healthy? Does he say everything's going well? Now here's what he said. I'm thirsting, I'm fainting, and I feel like I'm in a desert where there's no water. He's struggling hardcore. He's fatigued. He might be burnt out. He might be depressed. But then how does he turn from this condition in verse 1? Notice it's honest complaint. At least he's praying and coming to God with it. How does he turn to verse 3? My lips will praise you. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. What's the turn? How does he go from, I'm thirsty, I'm fainting, I'm hungry to death. And then he says, I'm praising and I'm lifting up my hands. I will bless you all the days of my life. What's the turn? How does he get there? He's praying. That's how he gets there. Now, here's what God does. Believe me, time and time and time again. If and when you learn to pray, the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8, will lead you and have you discern the mind of God. He will have you pray according to the will of God. This is what it means. If and when you learn to pray, did you know God is going to help you to think his thoughts? Did you know that God is going to help you to think differently about the situation? In other words, God is going to transform and renew your mind to think about it in a godly way. Redirection. There are thoughts you could not have thought of. In other words, apart from the Spirit of God in prayer. Several weeks ago, my sixth grade daughter, Elizabeth, on the weekend, we allowed them to use some social media and iPads. She's obsessed with the headphones on. This is her own religion. It's her own world. She's watching Netflix. I come upon her and say, Elizabeth, what are you watching? She was watching a show called 13 Reasons Why. I had heard about it, read about it a little bit, concerned me. And I said, Elizabeth, why are you watching that show? Daddy, everybody in my class has watched it. Everybody is talking about it. A little exaggeration. I'm sure not every single person, but that's her excuse. Everybody in sixth grade is talking about it. And so what I did for research, and I have to admit it's well acted, well made. It's very riveting. I watched about four or five episodes. And my conclusion as a parent was it is inappropriate and wrong on so many different levels for not only my sixth grade daughter, but for my daughter who's going into high school. But here's my take as a Christian. That show at least in my interpretation, kills off hope. That show makes you think and believe there's no redemption. That show overblows how it is the end of your life if there is social disapproval. You see, that's the way the world will naturally think. When you are stressed out and at the bottom rung, what thoughts do you think? 
Do you know what the Spirit of God can do for you in prayer? He can redirect you to look at the same stressful, suffering, fearful situation and see true hope, true redemption, true purpose, even love and goodness. The Spirit of God can redirect your thoughts. Do you think God's thoughts? Are you able to discern your Father in Heaven's mind? For Star Trekkers, like just this Trekkie language, you know prayer is how you mind meld with God? <laughs> Do you know how you mind meld with God? You know, you take any good kid, and if the kid has understood his or her parent, Later on when they grow, they can almost predict what the parent is thinking, what the parent is going to do, what the parent is going to say, how the parent is going to react. Oh, God, be merciful to us for better or for worse. Our children are copying us. They know our thoughts before us. Why would it be any less with the children of God? To know the Father's mind, Jesus' Son, by the Holy Spirit. He redirects us. And you see, back to Elizabeth. She's in sixth grade. She needs a parent to give her clear-cut direction. You cannot watch this anymore. It is forbidden. We can find out on Netflix. We see what you watched. But you know, in 2027, 10 years later, if Elizabeth and Taylor still came to me and said, Daddy, Daddy, can I watch this show? Daddy, Daddy, can I go to sleep later? Daddy, Daddy, what should I wear today? The only question they should still ask me in 2027 is, should I date this boy? They better tell me about that one. <laughs> but all the other questions that they still came to me, say, Daddy, Daddy, can I watch this? Can I do this? Can I sleep here? I would feel, along with Sonny, utter failures. You know why we failed as parents? Because they can't make decisions for themselves. Do you know that in your relationship with God, God doesn't just give you a textbook for every situation. He doesn't just give you clear-cut directions and counsel for everyday situation. Do you know what he wants to give you? He wants to give you his brain. Do you know in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Apostle Paul marvelously announced that as children of God, if we're praying and growing, God redirects us and gives us godly minds so we can think his thoughts. Here's what he wrote. Verse 14 through 16, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I just gave you an example. A non-believing person without the Spirit of God can be in a stressful, hurtful, horrible situation, and you cannot discern anything that God is doing at that time. You will be hopeless. You'll be destructive. You'll take extreme measures. You don't think that there's redemption. You don't think it could ever be better in the end. But Apostle Paul goes on, says in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Conclusion. But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. Did you know as Christian believers in prayer by the Spirit of God, you have been given the mind of Jesus Christ, meaning you get to think what Jesus would think in your situation? You get to discern what Jesus would feel in your situation? How about this? You get to pray what Jesus would pray on that Tuesday afternoon when it's the worst day of your life. You get to pray what Jesus would pray. God redirects. 
time and time again, God has saved me. God has redirected me. God has rebuked me. God has healed and protected me. When I come to him humbly and say, my mind is limited, it is natural, it is fleshly, it is prideful and selfish, and I am dominated by today's world, so God, you please, please renew it and cleanse it by your word. Redirect it. My friends, this is what God offers to do when you pray. Here's the second thing God does. He replenishes. He replenishes. We had just read he's fainting, he's thirsty, he's... Oh, he's so hungry. But then do you have this rich, lavish language in verse 5? My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Replenishment. Just as we know it's true, our physical bodies, when you're so thirsty, when you're hangry, when you're fatigued and hurting, you must get food and drink into your body or you will die. The psalmist Makes an analogy. Your soul, your spiritual life, the other dimension that might be just as important, if not more than your physical body, will wither and thirst and faint without encountering God in prayer. Because God is the one who replenishes, replenishes, replenishes. How do you really plan to keep up this thing about repenting and following Jesus for the rest of your life? How do you do that? It seems like temptations increase, pressures increase, unbelief increases. How will you do that? By the replenishing grace of God. How can Christ Central become truly a church who's dead set all out because of the Spirit's movement to be one more for the gospel? A church for our friends, not just ourselves. How does that happen? How will it be fulfilled? Only by the replenishing grace of God. How can you have perspective? How can you be healed? How can you be encouraged? Only by the replenishing grace of God. You might have heard this saying, pray your heart out. Pray your heart out. Pray your heart out. Have you ever prayed your heart out? It's always a two, three minute kind of meal prayer, only when it's an emergency. Have you prayed your heart out? It's a great saying. Do you know why you should pray your heart out? You should give it everything you got when you go to God. You pray your heart out so you can get his. We pray our hearts out so that we can get the replenishing new heart grace of God. Here's what God does in our prayers. He redirects us. He replenishes us. Third, last but not least, and this is the best, best part. God gives us his reality. The best part of prayer, I wish I could have it every time, is the very real, very intimate Encounter with the living God in prayer. That's what God does in our prayers. Theology turns into experience. Words from a book 
or words from a person get lit on fire in your heart. Prayer is the when and how academics become real life. Prayer is how God visits us in reality. And maybe some of the language, I, I'm going I'm to just be so, so lacking of words of how to explain some of these moments that I've had. It's unbelievably humbling. You start to not care about anything else in the world. It's thrilling and happy and holy. All at the same time. I don't know how it comes together. There's a sense of utter, exquisite, ecstatic delight. And I'll tell you how I know that's when God is visiting me in prayer. I don't want to stop praying. Uh, again, these are, these are precious few moments. I don't want to leave the prayer. I want to stay there. I want to linger there. It is better than, as the psalmist says, your steadfast love is better than life. Better than life. Do you think that's just a metaphor? Do you think it's just an exaggeration for him? He's saying in all of life, all of the experiences of life, the psalmist is saying, when I pray and I taste your steadfast love, it's better. It's the apex. You know what it is? It's a preview of heaven. My friend, do you know that prayer is given to us not only with the word of God, because God so wants you to encounter him. God so wants to be real to you. The reality of his presence, his love, his beauty, his truth, his transcendence, his majesty, it really is only a prayer away. Do you know how you can experience the reality of God? It really is only a prayer away. Now, let me just give you some qualifications. You may have to keep going there. You may have to be regular there. You may have to stay there. You may have to learn to be there, but it's there. It's really there. It's not in the TV. It's not in that weekend. It's not even in that person. It's not in that. It's there. The reality of God's presence. You know, you watch a mom with her child. They're walking down the street. And they're just walking down the street, maybe to school or coming back from school. Do you think to yourself, oh, that daughter or son is probably less of a daughter or son because they're not holding hands. They're just walking down the street. No, it's mother and daughter, mother and son. But then you see other moms at one kind of incredible moment where they sweep up their little child, if they're small and light enough, they sweep up their little child into their arms, and then you see the mom just adoring their baby, lavishing kiss kisses all over the baby, speaking words, again, the goo-goo-gagas and all the words of love and affection for the, for the child. Do you think at that moment, oh, that's when the child is more of a daughter or more of a son to the mom. No, none of us would think that. But here's what's happening. The child is always the daughter. The child is always the son. But when you're swept up into the mother's arms, you see, you're experiencing the assurance. You're being lavished of the intimacy. 
You're being confirmed. You're being reminded. Prayer is how the children of God get swept up into God's arms by his spirit. And you get to experience and taste all that God really thinks and feels over you. All right, let me encourage you. I know prayer is difficult. It's difficult. There's a thousand other things you can do. But if you have one little ounce of interest right now, anything has been stirred. You say, you know, I, I really would like to know and experience God like that. I really need to feel and experience God like that. Can I encourage you, my friend? You will never want to pray more than God wants you to pray. You will never make an interest or move toward God if God is not first making a move toward you. Nobody in this room is wanting to praise or pray to God unless it's responsive. God so is calling and wanting you. And he might be telling you this morning, you know, you've gone through the motions and the straits for how long? You are so not real with the living God. You have no idea what this guy is talking about. All you hear and go to church is distant theoretical things. But this morning, you might actually be hearing the voice of the Spirit of God telling you, I want you to encounter me. In reality, life-changing love and power. How do you do that? Come to him in prayer. Come to him in prayer. I think it was an old, old songwriter. This is like a little bit old school. Old school for you is like, what, 15 years ago? This is old school. No one but you, Lord, can satisfy the longing in my heart. Nothing I do, Lord, can take the place of drawing near to you. Only you can fill my deepest longing. Only you can breathe in me new life. Only you can fill my heart with laughter. Only you can answer my heart's cry. Father, I love you. Come satisfy the longing in my heart. Fill me, overwhelm me until I know your love deep in my heart. Your steadfast love is better than life. Your word is sweeter to me than honey. Psalm 16, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's the point of Christian life if all you're doing is waiting for heaven? you cannot taste it now. God wants you to taste it right now. And I'll tell you the marvelous thing about the Psalms is that it doesn't just teach us how to pray. They show us how Jesus prayed them himself. The Psalms don't just teach us how to pray and how to praise. They show us how Jesus our Savior praised and prayed them himself. Because here's what Jesus came to do. When Jesus prayed in a dry and weary land and he was thirsty and he was hungry and he was fainting and he was in the worst possible fearful lonely moment of his life, do you know that he didn't get replenished? Do you know he got ruined instead? Do you know that God the Father rejected and turned away from him? He shut him down. He closed him out. He forsook him. 
That is how you and I have access to God the Father. This is why we can always come anywhere, anyone. In the name of Jesus, the one who took my place, my substitute Savior. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. Because when we go to God the Father, we're saying, Jesus shed his blood. He broke his body. He's the one that loves me to the point of death. And so when you say in Jesus' name, God always, always, not only hears your prayer, he actually responds to you. And he will redirect you. And he will replenish you. And he will give you his reality. The reality of God in prayer. You know, in Isaiah chapter 54, beautiful, marvelous passage, I ask especially all of the ladies in this room to go home and read it, meditate on it, pray over it. It says that Jesus, our Savior, would come down and he would experience barrenness. He would come down and even know the experience of women who can't have children. Did you know that's right there in the Bible in Isaiah 54? Then it goes on and says, Jesus would know what it feels like to get cheated on. Where your spouse goes off and runs off with another lover and the spouse doesn't even have any remorse or care. You know, your spouse right now may not actually be cheating on you, but right now they don't, just don't care. Do you know Jesus knows what that feels like too? And Jesus came down and experiences every, what widows and mothers to this day who are abandoned and left all alone. Do you know why this Jesus would go through all of that? Because in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, the author tells us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I know you don't believe it, because if you believed it, we'd pray. But if you do believe this, because, all because of, and in Jesus, you and I get to access God at the throne of grace. And his reality comes rushing down. What is better in life than that? 